thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. You have your Bibles. Let's go. Daniel chapter three. We're in week two of a series called Stronger. And here's the vision for the series. In the story of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we find young people in Daniel 1, and then they grow into middle age. And by the end, when we read about Daniel in the lion's den in older age, and we find them living out their convictions in exile, in Babylon, in a culture that doesn't value what they value, in a culture that has become more polytheistic, meaning many gods, in a pluralistic society. And what I dream of is for you and me to hold on to our biblical convictions, our decision to follow Jesus no matter what, our decision to make the first commandment, to love God with all our heart, first place in a culture that slowly looks more and more like Babylon. And so as the culture slides, it's tempting for us to slide. And as those ideas permeate our culture, it's easy for them to permeate our minds. And these narratives in Daniel show stories of young people first that say, no, we will not eat or engage in the king's food. And then in Daniel 3, we've got a story where they won't bow down. At the end, in Daniel 6, we, got, we have a story where Daniel says, I will worship God no matter what you do to me. And it really gets progressively more aggressive in terms of the cultural rage against the people that stand according to their conviction. And I believe it's essential that we embody this and have this in our culture today. And so if you have your Bibles, we're gonna go Daniel 3 today. I'm gonna pray, and then we'll go after it. Uh, Daniel 1 uh, was last week, Daniel 3 today. Famous story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word. We ask that you would open up our hearts. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would live according to your word. We pray that we would remain faithful, especially when it is difficult. We ask, Lord, that we would be people that embody a relationship with God that is vibrant and alive. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would possess biblical convictions to where we remain faithful even when it's difficult. And Lord Jesus, ultimately, that like these men became influencers in Babylon, oh God, could we be influential in our city, in our nation, in our world, in our generation. We love you and we honor you. And everybody said amen. Amen. All right, here's the storyline specifically for Daniel 3. Nebuchadnezzar has said, uh, I want you to bow down to this idol. And he builds it 90 feet high, nine feet wide. And he puts it up in the middle of the plain. It's the plain of Dura. And then he tells everyone to bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have grown up since their teen years in Babylon. And to some degree, we know that there's a relationship between them and Nebuchadnezzar. They've already been promoted in Daniel 1 because Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed with who they were earlier. And now there's a confrontation coming. And this is a famous moment. And I I, I want us to look at it today with an extra lens of historical importance, not just Sunday school or veggie tale story, right? Uh, I uh, have a time with each of with my kids. We call it tribal Bible, and it's our devotional time as a family. And um, when my kids were little, now they're like, you know, 11, 13, 15, 17. They're vir- virtually grownups. Not really, but close. And, um, but when they were little, we got to Daniel 3. I went to do this story. And then I looked at them and I said, okay, um, tell me what you guys heard. And they quickly said, this is the story of Rack, Shack, and Benny. And so I found out that they had been more discipled by vegetables than by the Bible. And so I said to them, okay, yes, okay, Rack, Shack, and Benny, but can you tell me these boys' real names? To which 
my daughter, who's currently 15 and amazing. That back then she was five and amazing. And she said, just like she would to say today, I know their real names. Their real names are Bob Larian Jr. Which I said, that's true. And let's go their biblical historical names to which nobody knew. And sometimes it's easy to take a story like this that you heard maybe when you were a child or a teenager or in a cartoon or if you're mine and grew up in the 80s, old school flannel graph. And you take that storyline and miss the message because you've developed it into a children's Bible story. Yet, this is not a children's Bible story. This is a story of middle-aged men facing martyrdom for their faith. This is a very graphic, I mean, challenging story that has been relevant in generations past, and it remains relevant today. And so in this moment, you've got the challenge where Nebuchadnezzar says, bow, bow to an image. And when we hear this, we think, okay, this is not something that I face today. So Nebuchadnezzar may put up a large idol or a large image on the plains of Dura, but I don't have that. I certainly don't have some idol or image in Swope Park where I'm told to bow down. Certainly I don't have that, but I want to invite you to look at this and I'll read it. It's very easy for us to not recognize the idols of our day that don't necessarily take on images in a park or on a plane, but are ideas in the culture that permeate our hearts. So here we go, Daniel chapter three. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve, the, serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? So there it is, he sets up this image of gold, now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, it music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. So he's saying, I'm giving you another shot. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, and hear this defiance, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Let me exert my strength. Let me show you how strong I am. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, and then there's a threefold response here, is able to deliver us from it. One, my God is able. No matter what, I know this, my God is able. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He has not ceased to be who he says he is by virtue of your threats. Then, second statement is this, and he will deliver us. So then they go into, based upon what I know of the goodness of God, based upon what I know of who he's been in before, he will deliver us. And there's a faith statement. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Third, but even if he does not, even if the future does not turn out like we hope, certainly we are hoping that we will live through this difficult moment of being potentially thrown into the fire. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods. We possess a conviction. We have read Exodus 20. We know what God expects of us, and we will not bow to the image that you have created or worship the gold or worship the image of gold that you have set up. It's interesting to me when I look at this text because Nebuchadnezzar has already tolerated them um, worshiping God, and now we've got this moment where there's a tension. And when you look at the context of the tension, it's because this. As long as you guys worship your God um, and don't create a problem, there is no confrontation. But the moment that you refuse to bow down to the God, the image that I have set up, and you refuse to bow to that, then now there's tension. So if you exist in a pluralistic society where there's lots of people and ideas, and you do not place one God above the other, you just do your private religion, and in the public square, you remain silent, there's no tension. 
But now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I've created the moment where I've demanded that you worship, bow the knee, surrender to the image that I have created. And when you do not, then Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. And much like that today in our culture, you can worship, you can go to church on a Sunday, you can have 21 days of prayer in private, but the moment that you say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to heaven, the moment that you say, I will worship Yahweh and Yahweh alone, the moment that your conviction is he is supreme and everything else is secondary, you can guarantee that in the same way that Nebuchadnezzar becomes furious at these men, that, the, that Babylon, the, the Babylon mentality will become furious at you too. The moment that you say, he is God, he is supreme, and I will not bow my knee to any other, and he is the only way, you can guarantee you too will be in a conflict. You can guarantee we do not necessarily have Babylon today. You don't live in geographical Babylon, but there is a Babylon mentality that says we can do life without God. There is a plurality, all is equal, and the moment that you say that I will worship the Lord my God, and I will not bow to any other. And in our context, it's not images. It's not necessarily idols, like a statue. It's ideas. It's, I want you to buy into my idea. I want you to buy into my idea. I want you to, and when you say, I'm gonna buy into what I read in the word of God, and I'm gonna form my life around who God is and what he says, then there's the potential for conflict. Then there's the potential for people to say, how dare you? Who do you think you are? And that is very much alive today. That very much exists in our culture and in our generation. So as long as you're kind of living like, at least where I can't tell that maybe polytheism, many gods might be in your life. Like you kind of you got greed like the rest of us and you kind of got a little bit of lust that you're living for like the rest of us and you got some pride like the rest of us and, and you, yeah, you, you, you got some privatized worship too, but I can't really tell the difference. Then there's not a confrontation. But when this life of he is God and I, he will have no other loves none other. I mean, he is first place. I will worship God, God alone. If in your heart, you get that. So it starts to play out in your convictions, how you live your life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you believe. I can promise you that over time, you too will have moments where that fury will come at you and you will have to stand while the majority in the culture bow. And just like it was a reality for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's a reality for us. This idea of worship, this idea of I give God everything, is not just something in Babylon in a different era. This is what's alive today. Worship at the core is coming and saying, you, I will ascribe unto the Lord the worth that he is. And he's already declared to you how he wants to be worshiped. He's already said in Exodus 20 to Shadrach, to, to, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to read, hey, you will have no other gods before me. Do not bow to any other idol. Do not bow. I am supreme. So they have locked in in the moment where they're told to bow I must not bow. And what Nebuchadnezzar says is, no, I, I want the affections of your heart. And the war of the ages is over the affections of the human heart. When you look from beginning to end, it's about worship. And you were made by God for worship. You're made for relationship and you're made for worship. So you can look at God from the beginning, desiring your worship. And you can look all throughout Old Testament. You can go New Testament. You can look at where this is going in Revelation in the future, where around the throne there is singing, worthy is the Lamb, where there's instruments proclaiming how great is our God. And what you were made for by God is relationship and that you're a worshiper. And what we tend to do is we say, well, tell you what, I will be a uh, worshiper of a God that fits what I like. And I'll worship not only the God that I want, who has the character of the God that I want him to be like, but I'll worship in the way that I like to worship. 
So I'll choose a methodology that fits my personality. So same way I go into a restaurant and I pick out, hey, do I want carry out or dine in? Do I want seafood or do I want Mexican food? What do I want? And I'll do this thing my way. We can very easily do that. I'll worship in the method that I want to a God that I've ultimately put into the image that I want him to be in. And, and when, when we do that, when we do that, you're not actually worshiping God for who he is, nor are we necessarily worshiping in the method that he wants. And the key today for me is for us to lock in on who, what does it look like to worship the worthy God? What's your role in all of human history as a worshiper? How does God want to be worshiped? And I think it's easy for you and me to just kind of say, I, I, I'll, I'll do this thing my way. I will, I will have affection for the things that I have affection for, and God, I'll compartmentalize you and put you in one of the compartments, and you'll have some of my affection. And if you do that, then in the moment where the harp, the lyre, the zither, and the pipe play, and you have not locked in, you are worthy of my worship, and you are, you are supreme in God. I will bring my best. Many people will bring God something, but they won't bring God their best. But God, from, from cover to cover in the scriptures, is saying, I require to be first. It is Exodus 20. It is in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to any other image. It's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. and I, I want, He says, I, I want your affections. And you can enter into idolatry, not even realizing it by have disordered affections. Where you say, God, you have a part of my heart. You have, you, you, you're, 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 you're in the story. But he, from beginning to end, says, I want to be first in the story. Sometimes people push back and they say, I don't want to worship a God like that. Which is part of the challenge. Because even in that confession, you're saying, I'm God. I'll worship the God that I want to worship. But if you possess a biblical conviction, then you look at what the Bible says and you say, no, God, who are you? What does the word of God say about you? And I want to come before you and I submitted. I bow to one person. I bow to you and you alone. And I bow to the God who is actually God. So when we bow to God in Babylon, meaning the Babylon mentality that exists all around us, which at its essence is always just leaving God out. It's, I'm going to leave God out. You read Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel that says, we will make a name for ourselves, which is still the temptation today. I will build my platform. I will build my, my comfort. I will build something that, it's just, it's at the core. Instead of making God supreme, it's leaving God out and it's lifting up, exalting. Instead of exalting God, it's exalting man or exalting self. Sometimes we'll exalt other people, other and sometimes we'll exalt self. It's the, and the enemy does not care. He does not care what you worship as long as you don't have God as supreme and first place and best and most and number one in your life. Revelation 4 says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Intriguing. Why were you created? I'm created at God's pleasure. For him, I'm created for God. No, I don't want a God like that. I want a God that's created for me, baby. And you know what? As long as, as, long as there's songs and sermons and, and, and books that are about a God that serves me, takes care of me, comforts me, makes my life better, I'm okay. And a lot of people go that route. But let me tell you this. You were created for God. So one of the things that a God gets to do is be God. One of the things that a God gets to do is the God gets to call the shots. The challenge is a lot of people don't want nobody calling the shots but me. And, it's the, and, and I'll figure out a way to call the shots on everybody. I, I'm calling the shots. And ultimately at the core, you said, I'm Lord. I will, I will worship myself. Or I, will, I will worship something. But it is, it is not the God of the scriptures that says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. It, it, the, the, God of, the God of the scripture says, from the beginning... Hey, I want to be first place in your life. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't bow your knee 
to others. Worship God and God alone. So we come before him and we say, God, I, it is commanded. I'm gonna be a worshiper. I, I bow to you and you alone. Not necessarily based upon my, my experience, my desire, my personality today, or if I had a good week, but based upon who you are. And I just wanna read Psalm 150 because one of the things I like about Psalm 150 is that it says at the end, we've got 150 chapters in the Psalms telling us about how to be worshipers. But the last one is this command. And in the Hebrew, that, this word praise, it is a command. It's not an invitation. It's not an encouragement. It's not if you feel like it. It's a command. Listen to it. It's really strong. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for surpassing greatness. Praise him for this, with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So come before me and praise it's this command, shout out, proclaim, command it. So we come before him, and that's why we come before him. And at Radiant, I dream of a place where we, we no matter our circumstance, we come in and we declare, no matter what I feel, no matter what, it is my conviction. This is who, so I, and I'm commanded to praise, and I'm made for your pleasure. And oh, lo and behold, you make him your, your pleasure. He just is so good. He says, seek first these things, and all these things will be added unto you. You'd be surprised how, how he becomes your pleasure, but you'd be surprised. You just believe. You do the things that he's called you to do, that he commands you to do for his pleasure, and then your pleasures change. And so you come before me, it's your pleasure for me to worship you, and you watch, and then the idolatry that exists in the land doesn't hold the grip on you, because I'm a worshiper of God. And worship actually is a place where transformation starts to happen, where you start to be, I want what God wants. So you come before him, and with all that you have, you're a worshiper. John 4 said that he's looking for worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. So you come before him and he said, I want to be a worshiper. I want to worship you with, I want you to be first place. Love Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Here's what I want to invite you to think about. What does it look like for me on a, when I'm by myself for 21 days in the next 21 days of prayer to come before God and come in with worship? And use each one of those components. God, with my, my heart, with my emotions, I want to come before you and worship. God, with my mind, with my thinking, with my thoughts being on God, I'm running movies in my mind about what God is like. I've, I've got some of the word of God on my tongue. I can, I can say it. I've, I've memorized it. I, I, I've even got even my strength. I'll even use my strength. Yeah, I'm too tired. Yeah, I don't want to lift my hands. I don't want to clang no cymbals, you know, but like I, I'm going to use my strength to push out other things or to take an instrument or to, but to do something that says I'm going to worship God with all. So it's very easy for us to enter into even a moment like this and, and go through the rhythms, but not actually worship. You can sing and not be worshiping because your mind is on lunch or is on the NFL draft tonight in your fantasy football league or confession or yeah, my mind could be anywhere. I could be on the front row and I could be doing one of these. And I could be thinking about, man, I just can't wait for fill in the blank dinner or, but what you want to do is you want to come in and go, I want to worship the way you want to be worshiped. And I want you to be supreme in first place. And you are creator God. And you created me for relationship. And you created me as a worshiper. Everybody worships. The question is not if we worship. It's what do we worship? And so I am a worshiper. And I want you to be supreme. To have supreme affection. Not disordered loves. I want you to be number one. And my dream is that when we, when we gather in here. He's our supreme affection. And we actually declare it. So if we come in here and we've got in, on, on our tongue and in our minds and in our hearts, worship. Not just coming in and going through the routine, because it's possible. When I was in uh, high school, actually junior high, my uh, youth group used to go down to Fort Worth. And we would do these missions projects where we would go and we would work from early in the morning 
till late in the evening. And then we would do a dinner where we did all the meal prep. We ate together. Then we did all the, uh, the cleanup. And then we did a, a, a service, just our little youth group at night. And by, as, as a junior high student, I figured out a time where I could get some sleep and no one would know. It was called worship time because I figured out I was so tired, hot sun on a roof in Fort Worth, and I figured out there was about a 25-minute window where we would sing, we exalt thee as the deer panteth for the water, and I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-D-I-N. And I would just go, oh, I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, and I have C-H-R-I-S-D, and I would just lay prostrate before the Lord. I put my head like this, and I would just, nobody would know, but I would have the appearance of being a worshiper, but I was a slumberer. I was not engaged in any worship. Here's the deal. Here's what God wants. He wants worship, not according to what you want, but according to what he wants, and you are a worshiper, and so I want to invite you to just look at your life and go, all right. God, I will bow to you alone. I will worship. I may live with a Babylon mentality all around me, but it's not in me. I am a worshiper of God, and he will get his worship. Do you know that? Do you know that? He's going to be worshiped. It's actually, we're not the center of the universe. Everything doesn't revolve around you. And it's easy to think that because I love, I love living in America. I love living in a world where we have goods and services, where people want you know, me to purchase from them, but it's very easy over time to think. Everybody is about making me happy and for you to take that same consumer mentality that exists in, in our culture and put it on God. But he will have worshipers. In fact, one time when his disciples were rejoicing, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, hey, This is too much. And Jesus rebukes him and says, I tell you, if they don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. He's saying, I can make, I can, he's saying, you better be quiet, brother, because I can make a worshiper out of these rocks. I mean, that's, Jesus is strong, strong. So maybe that's your conviction. Ain't no rock going to sing in my place, right? Like, ain't no chance. Sorry, that sounds Oklahoma. Mm. Uh, I'm a worshiper of God. First, I will not bow. Second idea I just want you to see here is just know that the Babylon mentality exists even in American culture right now. And don't bow to Babylon's gods. Don't bow. Don't bow to the isms. Don't bow to man being the center. We're not. God is. Don't bow to pleasure being the center or first. No, God is. We don't live secularism. Hedonism, pluralism. We live, honestly, just locked in with, I am monotheistic. There is one God, and I follow Yahweh. And there is no other God besides him. And you will receive pushback if you live that way and if you verbalize that. But the more that you worship day in, day out, you will become like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where when the threat comes, you don't go, oh, no, you stand and say, be as it will, but I will not bow. So I just look at our culture and I think, um, I think it takes on, it invades us more than we realize. I think because we live in such a comfortable culture, we don't realize the degree to which the Babylon mentality is after us. And specifically here, it's intriguing to me that when we have the story about Babylon, it's when you hear the sound of the music, then worship the image. And I just want you to know that that still exists today. When you hear the sound, and, and so for them, it was the pipe, the lyre, the zitha, whatever the zitha is, and then bow. And we don't so much have people bowing their knee to an image today or an idol, but here's what we have. We have the idolatry of ideas that plague our culture, that if you don't bow down, who do you think you are? How Just like Nebuchadnezzar turned, how dare you? And I want to invite you to know the power of one of the places where the Babylon mentality gets into your thinking and your mind straight up is music. 
Like, can I just be an old grumpy preacher for a minute? Call me an old grumpy dad. But I'm just telling you, it is unreal to me how, how powerful music is. So in the positive sense, I mean, you look, at the, you look at the song that's going on in heaven and it's powerful. Even if we were to gather today and we were to just quote those lyrics, it would be good, but not that good. Like if we were all saying, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I, this is how I, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I, this is how I. It may look like I'm surrounded, all everybody together, but I'm surrounded by you, right? And it, but when you say, this is how I fight my battle, mm, this is how I fight my battle, I mean, it's got, it's got like, oh, it's got my heart, it's got, it's got something in it, right? Listen, you take, you take the harp, the pipe, the zither, the, I don't know, all the instruments and music, it's been powerful all throughout history. It's powerful today. And honestly, when we read about eternity, there's a moment we read in Revelation 5, we'll always be singing. You can read in Revelation, it says they're playing harps around the throne. There's music around the throne room of God. Music is powerful. So what happens when the Babylon mentality says, I know how I will uneducate them from Yahweh and disciple them into the Babylon mentality? I'll put it with the current hype, hype, that's pipe and harp together, hype, <laughs> with the current harps and pipes and lyres and zithers. It's called Spotify. It's called, I'll, I'll, get, you, I'll get you singing Babylon ideas and just tap your foot to it and laugh about it and just enjoy it and say, I just like the beat. And I decided just for fun. This is what most pastors do on a Tuesday afternoon. But on Tuesday afternoon, I decided just to go and read the lyrics of the Hot 100. Yeah. So any of you that saw me at Starbucks and walked in and saw my screen and thought, huh, this is what my pastor does. He sits there and reads the lyrics of the Hot 100. I mean, it was, it was brazen immorality. It was not just, not just the words used, but this, the, 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 the idols. Worship yourself. Worship your thoughts. Worship sexuality. Worship your image. Worship, and the enemy does not care which idol you choose as long as it's not Yahweh. I will have no other loves, no other gods. Your first place, first alone. You, you are your God. I took two of my kids this week to the pool, and we're sitting there, and uh, and swimming, not sitting, swimming, we're swimming there, and uh, having a great time, and this dude comes in, and he gets out his iPhone and a Bluetooth speaker, and uh, he just sets up, he sits down in the pool, and then um, he just blares this music, and I, I can't tell you the lyrics, of, I didn't know the songs, all I can tell you is that after about 20 minutes, uh, the, the music that was quite a bit lusty and quite a bit lazy. It was like some lazy, lazy, lusty type, just lyrics coming at me. I could just, the whole environment changed. And it was almost like I, I could feel this battle. The battle of the ages is over the affections of the human heart. And music is a way where the enemy, just like in Babylon says, I'll get you to value something different. I was thinking about how absurd it would be for Renata and I, if we were to like go, we go on date night on Sunday nights. I was thinking about how, how foolish it would be if we were like, hey babe, tonight, let's create a playlist on Spotify. All my ex-girlfriends, all your ex-boyfriends, those songs that you had with those boys, the, the songs that I had with my exes, not in Texas. Uh, and, and we just, tonight, we just bam, 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 bam. We just play those tonight. That would be like digging up, oh, right? No chance I would do that, right? That, that, no, I'll tell you what happened to those songs for us. It's like those songs, they are cast down, a little bit of fallen, fallen as Babylon, a little revelation, revelation, like they gone, right? It, because it'd be, but music is powerful. And sometimes you'll do the same thing. You'll just go, ah, and you, you can even have, you can have a song connected to uh, laziness or greed or, and I'm just telling you, we, we oftentimes are casual. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, I'm not telling you what to do with your music. I'm asking you to ask God, 
what it looks like because it's powerful enough to also fill up your heart with an expression of worship. It's also possible for it to be alive inside of you where worship is vibrant and you're singing and declaring songs. And I just dream about with our children. I have, I have four. And I'll tell you this, so I was a youth pastor for 20 years. And my strategy with youth ministry was never to say, don't do these bad things on a Friday night. Don't you dare go to this movie. Don't go do this bad thing. Don't you, don't you smoke this, chew this, don't drink this, don't, don't, and don't go with girls that do. I didn't do that. Here's what we did. We created a worship and prayer meeting on Friday night and said, we're going to exalt God. Then we created prayer meetings where we called them secret prayer. And we would go to other churches in Colorado Springs. And we would pray, as we were praying for revival in our city, we'd actually pray in their buildings. And so the, the, the worship of God and the crying out to God became the focus. And then you watched as the idols of the day dissipated. And in your life, I'm not looking at you saying, don't do bad things and bad music, people, right? <laughs> what I'm saying is, man, get in your heart. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. You get that high exaltation. I will have no other loves. No God. <laughs> that idol does not compare to Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh was the one that rescued me. Yahweh was the one that saved me. Yahweh, you delivered me. And you start to get not just, you're, you're worthy because of who you are, but you get, I can't stop talking about what my God has done for me. And I got a story to tell. And so come on, pull out the pipe, pull out the zither and pull out the lyre and all the other stuff. And let's declare who our God is. It's, it's, it's your excellent worth. It's what you've done for me. And so it, I just think it becomes expressive. I think it becomes biblically expressive where I'm just declaring it. I'm just declaring this is who I am. And I want to invite you. And the last one is this. Endure Babylon's rage because it's coming. You go all in with this. I'm a worshiper. I can guarantee you, just like King Nebuchadnezzar flipped out on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Babylon mentality will flip out on you. How dare you? Here in the text, look at this. He says, he became angry and he says, make it hotter. Look at this. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. It is hard to worship Yahweh in Babylon when everybody else is bowing. And that imagery is real. You will be in the minority because the majority will say, chill out, brother. Come on, sister. Don't, don't be one of those. Just come on. Come on. But this story, there was a moment where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced the supernatural hand of God. And it became the platform of, of other people to say, wow, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is God. And here, as Nebuchadnezzar flips, he, becomes, he says, turn up the heat. I'm ticked. How dare you? When you say, I will not bow, because God is number one, it does affect how I think. It affects how I live. It affects me in these ways. My role as your pastor is not to tell you all those specifics. It's to connect you to God. And then you say, I'll follow God. And God has led me. Here I stand and I will not bow. Yeah, but you could bow to materialism. I will not bow to materialism. Yeah, but you could bow to hedonism. I will not bow to pleasure. Yeah, but you could bow to polytheism. There's lots of different ways. Nope, there is one God. He's the creator of the heavens and earth. And the earth. Jesus is the one way of salvation. And I stand. And you watch. You watch. You don't, you don't worship the idols of the day. You, don't you just say, I'm not going there. And I just promise you it's coming. I promise you there's gonna be the rage and in this story, I love this story. And one day when we do a miracle story, a miracle series, I'll tell the story. And there's a fourth man in the fire. There's a fourth man in the fire. And Jesus was in the fire. And Jesus with you. But that's not what I'm hitting today. Because you know what I find interesting? Is that they were willing to go to death. More than just rack shack and binning some vegetables that Jesus was walking around in the fire with him. I want you to just see martyrdom 
willing to go to the fire and face it. Why? Conviction so strong. There is one God. And you know what? We will not bow. He will save us. And even if he doesn't, what? Even if he doesn't, yeah, I have decided I'm not God. God is not my means to accomplish my goal. Even if it means I go into my death, I'm going to do what he told me to be. The word of God told me I will not bow to another image. So I have decided I have this biblical conviction unto the end, even if I lose my life. And I just want to tell you throughout church history, that has been true. And there have been people that have done that. And some of them have not walked out of the furnace. Stephen in Acts chapter 7, he dies. He's martyred. He looks up, and Jesus is standing, waiting. That's awesome. Gave his life. I, just, I was reading about Polycarp, first century. Burned alive. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Hung. And he says, as he goes to his death, this is not the end. This is just the beginning of life. It's a different mentality. And I just want to encourage you because as a worshiper, there's a great opportunity to stand when everybody else bows. And sometimes you'll walk through the fire. The good news is Jesus is with you in the fire. He's with you. And if you walk out and you got a miracle story, or if you come to the end and you say, I followed him to the end, you end up with him forever. And even Paul's statement where he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain becomes your story. And you can read like the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you can read about people that gave their lives, ultimately driven by, I will not. So I want to invite you to do a couple practical things. Number one, I want to invite you to identify, identify the potential worship idols in your life. What are the things that could rival first place? I love it when we sing that song. You have no rivals, but all of us could name. I can name for you. I can name for you the things that I can make that can rival God first place in my life. I know what they are. I could spit them out right here. I'm not going to, <laughs> but I could, because I know the things that become, oh, I really, I really mm. But if you can identify them, so that you're not just living in a fog, just saying, oh, it's for another day, somebody else. Identify them. Take them to God in prayer. Put them in these 21 days, name them God, and just say them. My retirement savings account is not number one. You're number one. God, what this person thinks about is not number one. You're number one. You have no rivals in me. Second thing I would encourage you to do is map your music. Make a plan. Some of you don't have a plan. I got a plan. I'm just telling you, I know it's powerful. So I know not just the negative, but the positive. So for me, there's... There's always a song that's my current anthem. You guys hear about it all the time because I can't finish the sermon without singing, right? I, just, I don't know why, I just always do. And that season where we were praying together for my dad to be healed, actually, I stole Renata's song. She got it first and it became my song. She put it on Alexa every day and it became my song. I have lived the goodness of God and I don't know what's gonna happen and I may lose him but he's been good before. He'll still be good. Even if I don't come out of this furnace alive, even if I don't get what I want, I'm not gonna bow to hatred towards God. I'm not gonna allow accusation to my heart to exist instead of a conviction. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I have lived in the goodness of God. I, was, I have lived. Then there was a moment where God healed my dad and my anthem became, I thank God, pick me up, you turn me around, you set my feet on solid. And every Sabbath, it's like everybody jump in the truck and bam, we playing it again. It's telling the story and it's powerful. It's powerful. 
Right now, there's a new one. God did a miracle. One of my son's friends, where it was healed this summer at camp. And ever since that healing, I just got that same one. Car, house, truck. Don't you tell me he can't do it. Don't you tell me he can't do it. I've seen cancers disappear. We've seen cancers disappear, Stephen. We're believing God that he'll do it again. So it's not just the presence of, I'm going to get rid of music that's filled with sexuality, immorality, hatred, narcissism, lust, greed, and pride. It's also just filling up our iPhones and our AirPods and our eyelids and everything else. <laughs> Worthy is the Lamb. I got a plan for, and I got a plan for my, you better believe I got a plan for my kids' music. You better believe it because Babylon's coming after them more strategically than he's coming after me. He's coming after the next generation. And here's middle-aged men able to stand because they stood when they were teenagers. So we're going to give ourselves. We're going after the next generation as a church. We're going after them. That's why we even put music out there. So we don't just tell our kids, hey, teenagers, don't, don't listen. To, here, we, you know, we, we, we haven't, we've put out two new songs. One of them is Jacob Ray, 18 years old. We want to be bold as lions. Rah! 18, he's all looks like vanilla ice up here singing, right? We're going to be bold. 18. Dawson just threw a prayer over it. My son, 17. He can't sing, but he can scream. It's in the DNA. We threw it out there. It's got 25,000 listens on Spotify, and it's just kids. Oh, so it's just saying, mm, radiating Babylon. Take it in the middle, in the worship realm. We will not bow. It is so tempting to bow. And that, the music of Babylon is all up in our car's ears. It's all over the place. I just want to invite you not to do what I do. You ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what, do you, what does it look like for me? But have a plan. Think about it. It will help arrange your affections. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised, the love. And I want to invite you, just the last one is this. Actually read what the scriptures say and create biblical expression of worship so that your worship is not just the method that you want to do. Well, I'm a three on the Enneagram. Here's what we threes like to do, right? That's what I would normally do. Hey, I like seafood. Here's where I like to go. Hey, I, Renata, I do not want to do romantic comedy. I want to do something by Ridley Scott and Gladiator. That's, my, that's what I want to do, right? I want to invite you not to think when it comes to worship. What do I want to do? I want you to invite you to go, I'm made for your pleasure. And for thy pleasure, I was created. Thou art worthy, O Lord. I'm a worshiper with my breath. I'm a worshiper with my instruments, my hands. I'm a worshiper. I'm declaring the goodness of God. Psalms gives us a bunch of them. I'm closing with this. I promise. Third ending. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Shout. I'm not a shouter. Well, you is now. Yeah. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clap. I'm going to shout. You don't have to do it here. Do it somewhere. Just go, God, whatever I read in your word, I've surrendered to you. Psalm 63, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I just like to think about how good God is. I don't necessarily want to add to my lips. No, you, you want to add that. My lips will praise you. Find it, find it declared on my lips. Psalm 63, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. So just locked in. And I want to invite you, don't, don't take my music plan or what I'm telling you. I just want to invite you, you go before God. You take 21 days and you say, God, what does it look like in my life? When I'm in my car, when I'm with my family at home, I'm a young adult, I got three roommates, all dudes. What does it look like for four dudes in a, an apartment to be, oh, they, they're, they're, it's Babylon, baby. I mean, how do I, you know, like, God, what does it look like? God, I'm, you pick your environment. Say it. What does it look like at church? I think that it would be amazing if Radiant Church was a place where we came in and you saw biblical expression, people just going, I'm all in with God. I, this is not, a, I'll, I'll, God, I'm all in. You're first place in my heart, my life. Confession. 
It is my personality to be expressive. I know you know about it. I know. Sometimes I'll rap or sing or do something crazy. Renata experienced it the first, well, she still does. But when we first got married, I'd stand in front of the, the TV on a Saturday and watch the Sooner game, and I'd scream, and I'd yell, and I'd get mad, and I'd scream at the screen. When we'd score, I'd jump up and down. And to my beautiful bride, she'd just look at like, what is that? You know, like, I'd clap, I'd shout, I'd be excited, probably going to win another Heisman, but not win the national championship again, you know, but like, I was have expression. That's my personality. So I am that way. And I just want you to know, on a Sunday though, I will not cheer for the Sooners on Saturday more than I will scream and cry out to God in the front row for my God on a Sunday. Yeah. And I want to invite you. I'm going to ask you, you be, you, I'm not, you be you. You, you. I'm not asking you to do what I do. I am asking you to God, ask God, you made me for your pleasure, God, as a worshiper. The Bible is full of what biblical worship looks like. Help me step into it. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask that you would help us to be a worshiping church, that we would worship in Babylon. We pray that we would not bow the knee to the idols of the day. Oh God, I pray secularism and hedonism and materialism that is just all around us would not be in us. Would you just ask the Holy Spirit, would you just reveal one thing to me? Holy Spirit, one rival in my life. Now will you just say to the Lord, no, no more, you're number one. Maybe you're online or in the room and you just worship anything but God. But today, you want to step over the line of faith and make Jesus the Lord of your life. Give your whole life to God. If you want to do that, I want to invite you just to repeat this prayer. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus and I give you my life. Save me. Give me a fresh start. I worship you. You're number one. I give you everything. In Jesus' name.